0: Well, welcome to Living Streams, thanks for being here. We're gonna be in 1 Kings, if you wanna grab a Bible and turn there. 1 Kings is super old, so old. It's like major old, old, old writings. So old that if you were cool, you would never even pay attention to them. But we're not trying to be cool, we're trying to be correct. We're trying to find the Lord in it all. And so this is the Old Testament. Um, There's a lot of people in society who wouldn't call it Old Testament, they just call it the Tanakh, um, but in our, in our testament structure of the Christian church, we have Old Testament, we have New Testament. So this is, this is old, Old Testament. It's not even like new Old Testament. It's like old, old, Old Testament. Um, but these words, it's just so amazing how much um, truth and help they have for us today in what we're dealing with in our super advanced 2021 culture where we know the answer to everything now. Um, or at least can ask Siri what it is. Um, But in this passage we talked about last week that there's lots of connections today, there's uneasy transfers of power, there's debates and divisions over taxes, yeah, Um, political issues, Uh, there's building of walls, whether we should build the walls around Jerusalem and fortify them or not, truth's in there, you'll read it today, Um, and there's a continuous redefining of who God is. What his role is in society? We, as Americans, um, the framers of our nation, said some phrases that still stand strong today. One nation under God um, is something that we we claim. Uh, We also put "In God We Trust" on our money, which is just hilarious, right? Because what do we really trust (laughs) in, right? Sorry, I thought that was funny. Um, You can laugh. It's church, but you can you can laugh. And if it's just a bad joke, you don't have to laugh. But Um, Anyways, one nation under God, but the word God there, when the framers of our nation were using that word, yes, there's some debate at how they felt about God, but there's no debate as to whether or not they were talking about the Judeo-Christian concept of who God is. Um, But nowadays, when we say one nation under God or in God we trust, our politicians, our presidents, and and our society as a whole have, have done a lot of expansive work to that word God. And that was true of what was happening in Israel at that day. Israel was was God's nation, they were the nation of Yahweh. They were rescued by Yahweh from Egyptian slavery. Yahweh, this burning bush god that became a burning mountain god that defeated all of the gods of Egypt, and it basically carved out a space in Israel, in the the land of Canaan for his people, and defeated all the gods of Canaanites and all of those things. He had established himself as the god above all gods, and Israel knew that and believed that and accepted that. But now as we follow the, the, the history of First of and 2 Kings, what we're seeing is that God is, is kind of being redefined. And in fact, we mentioned last week, like we have a cross in here which represents Jesus, which represents and reminds us that Jesus Christ loves us and died for us. And if God was willing to send his own son to die on that cross, how will he not much more give us every good thing so we can rest as sheep following the shepherd and really say, I shall not want? And we look at this cross and we're reminded that Jesus told us that if we really wanna follow him, 90% of the time, and maybe even more, I'm just too scared to say it, we'll be denying ourselves, taking up a cross, and following him. Denying yourself, denying your desires, putting those things secondary to the word of God. That is the life of a Christian. And this cross is here to remind us, but this cross represents something to us. And in Israel's day, in First Kings day, in their, in their worship places, they never really took down Yahweh or the worship of Yahweh, but they started to add other things. They put a little something for Baal over there, a little something for Asherah over there. And basically, they just started to redefine the name God and redefine what it meant to worship God. They thought, if we're gonna get the goodness of the Yahweh God, why don't we get a little goodness of Baal God, and a little goodness of Asherah, man? We get a lot of goodness. Not realizing that the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is a jealous God. And that doesn't mean he's like that weird girlfriend or boyfriend you had back in junior high. What that means is he's jealous like a wife would be if the husband decides he wants other wives also. It is right for that woman to not stand for that. It's a righteous jealousy. And God is jealous for you. He doesn't want to be one of your gods. He says, I'm the whole thing or I'm out. And what happened in Israel is they continued to say, we want more than just Yahweh. And at one point, God said, I'm out. And they fell into destruction and captivity and exile and lost everything. And that's the story of 1 Kings. Jeremiah was the writer of 1 Kings and Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And the reason he's known as the weeping prophet because he was called by God to prophesy to Israel during all of this time. And he was telling them, hey, don't add other gods, don't work, see, I knew I was gonna do something weird with this thing. <laughs> I'm gonna put this like way over here. Kurt, you wanna grab this? I was trying to not make a distraction, I just made it more of a distraction. I'm good like that. Um, but anyway, so, so that's what was happening in Israel. And Jeremiah was prophesying, saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And every time he would, they would just take him and put him in prison or stick him in a pit or something or just reject him or laugh at him or make fun of him. That was basically the whole history of his prophecy. He was speaking the words of truth, but they were not receiving it as a society. And then Jeremiah sits down, now that they've all been destroyed and taken into exile, and he's writing the book of First and 2 Kings to remind the generations to come of what took place in Israel, God's chosen holy people, and how they basically prostituted themselves to other gods. And I mentioned last week kind of that image of the frog. If you take a frog and you put it in boiling hot water, it'll just jump out because it's hot. It doesn't like it. But if you take a frog and you put it in a boiling pot or in a cold pot of water and then bring it up to boil, the frog will stay in there and die. Again, I've never tried it. I've heard it's true. (laughs) But I do need to apologize to everybody because last week I I talked about it the whole time. I was talking about a frog and I was talking about Jeremiah and I was talking about frog and I was talking and I've never once mentioned that Jeremiah was a bullfrog. And I actually had people come up to me afterwards and just be like, dude, you just needed to say it one time. I couldn't get through the rest of the message because you didn't say it. So I get that. So Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Got it. Everybody's cool with that. Um, I'm sorry. I should have seen it. I should have made a joke, but I didn't. I missed it. My bad. Which, by the way, brings me to one other confession. Um, For all those who came to Christmas Eve service, to whatever Christmas Eve service, I forgot to do this. I was wearing a sweatshirt that my wife has Um, that got me, and it's a picture of Jesus. And then on it, it says, YOLO, JK, BRB. And so to translate, that means you only live once, just kidding, be right back. So that's what it said. But I was wearing a coat over it, that basically was obscuring a lot of the letters. So you saw Jesus, and then every once in a while I'd be like, over here, and then be like, oh, I got it. And then I'd be like, over here, and you get a little bit more. But you could never get the whole thing at once. And I mentioned it in one of the services, but I've forgotten the other two, so I'm apologizing for that. Total mistake. Messed with everybody's brain. I heard about that too afterwards. But um, those are the people I love to hear from, honestly. It's so fun, because it's like, did you hear anything I said? No. Just kidding. I actually like it because it's more fun that way. But anyway, so Jeremiah was a bullfrog, weeping prophet, um, a 200, 300 years of decline in Israel's history as they were, they were kind of forsaking, themse- forsaking Yahweh by adding other gods. Um, we mentioned last week some of the, the gods, some of the idolatry that's trying to work its way into the church. Obviously, we have to talk about greed and pride. Um, Jesus himself talked about the weeds that choke out the good seed, the the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, and so we talked about that. I wanna add to that list a couple um, forms of idolatry trying to work its way into the church right now. One would be um, American nationalism, one would be American progressivism, Um, If you don't know what I mean by that, but those are two really political agendas that are borrowing Christian language, that are trying to hijack Christianity and use it for their own gains. And they're camouflaging themselves as Christianity, but really they're just evil, false, deceptive idolatries. And one is housed on the political left and one is housed in the political right. And many of us bit into some of that idolatry last year and we need to repent. We need to get back to what is true and what is right. Right. And watch out for those things. So, But I'm offending both sides, so either everyone's angry or everyone's happy. I don't know, one of the two. So one last thing before we jump in. This is a little timeline slide. This is one of the most helpful things that I ever received um, in trying to understand the Bible was getting these timelines, and this is one for 1 Kings and 2 Kings. That's me, that's not a timeline. I could do this, though. timeline. How we doing, any timeline coming? No? Hey, bam! It's so important. That's why I, was, I wasn't trying to give him a hard time, but this is really important. So, United Kingdom, divided kingdom. So, at the beginning of First Kings, basically Solomon is king. So, you have in Israel, Saul was the first king, then David, then Solomon, and all twelve tribes were united into one kingdom called Israel. And then by Solomon's day, Israel had really become, you know, world power status. David conquered everybody, had peace all around. Solomon was wise. Um, and then Solomon's son was, was Rehoboam. But Rehoboam thought it would be really good to just tax everybody and kind of like be this really strong dictator presence. Because that's what Solomon sort of was. But Rehoboam didn't really, he wasn't able to cash the checks he was um, writing, so to speak, and so the 10 tribes of the north, it wasn't really a civil war, it was more just like a civil, civil peace out, we're out, no longer wanna be a part of you guys anymore. And so the 10 tribes of the north um, made Jeroboam the first their king, and they became, they retained the name Israel. And then the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, they became the kingdom of Judah. So as you read through, you read about the kings of Israel, kings of Judah. They're actually all kind of united in those 12 tribes, but they're divided as a nation now. Um, and then uh, Israel was in the north, and they were conquered by Assyria around 722. And then in the south, Babylon came and exiled um, those in Judah in 586 BC. And that's where you pick up, you know, new new um, prophets and new books of the Bible. So, anyways, that's what's going on. First Kings chapter three. Solomon is now king. He uh, in chapter two was firmly established, even though there was not a peaceful transfer of power. And this is what he does. Um, in some of his first acts of king, according to the writer of First Kings. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father, David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So there's tons of foreshadowing going on right here. And just so you know, I mean, you don't have to pick it all up now, but when it talks about one of the very first things that Solomon did was marry a, a daughter from a foreign king. Um, that, is, that is the beginning, that, that was one of the next thousand of, of these kind of relationships that, that Solomon would get involved in. And, and it, wasn't, it ended up being a good thing, just so you know. Um, and then the high places, people were sacrificing at high places. There wasn't really a clear, consolidated idea of where and how to worship Yahweh. People were kind of making up their own thing a little bit. Um, And then Solomon was actually doing what the Lord asked him to do. He was following the commandments passed down by Moses and David um, adhered to, except one big thing, he was worshiping um, in the high places. And so verse four, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So there's this moment where Solomon's not doing everything quite right, but the Lord is still faithful to show up to him and says, Solomon, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon decides that what he wants to ask for is he wants a listening heart, a discerning heart. A heart that can listen and hear and find God's perspective. Find what is true and right. Find what is true and false. And as you keep reading, the Lord is so pleased with what Solomon asks for. He kind of goes off for a little bit. He's just pumped. He's so pleased with what Solomon is doing that he says, Solomon, I'm not only going to give you a heart of wisdom, I'm going to give you... A heart of wisdom that's better than anyone that's ever come before you, and better than anyone that ever comes after you. And in addition to that, I'm gonna give you power and wealth and all these other things, because that's what I thought you were gonna ask for. Not really, it's God, he knows what he asked for. But he was so, so pleased by what Solomon asked for. It meant so much to God that he was doing this. In some ways I think it kind of made God feel like Solomon was also a man after his heart, just like David his father. We talked about what that meant last week. But I think, um, and Dan Riccio was helping me all this. He's a guy in our church that's a scholar. He helps me a lot. Um, But he he, kind of unpacked this for me. Why was it so pleasing to God for Solomon to ask this? And, and, And what he drew out of there was basically what Solomon was doing is he was refusing to set himself up as the judge of what is right and wrong. He was basically in this saying, saying, God, I don't know what to do. I'm this little child. I need a heart that can listen. I need a heart that can hear you. I need a heart that is submitted to you because you alone can see things right and true and you alone can know what is just and right. And by refusing to this, he was honoring God. He was worshiping God. He was giving God that highest place, not only in his own life, but in the nation of Israel. And for us, if we really want to follow the Lord, we will have to continually refuse to take the throne of our own lives. We will have to ask the Lord to help us be those who discern what is right and true, not determine what is right and true, if that makes sense. In our society, we don't want to listen and learn. We want to yell and scream and say this is right and true. We want to determine, we want to throw off the bondage of the oppressive, antiquated scriptures that God has given us so that we can determine for ourselves what is right. And that was not Solomon's heart at all and it pleased the Lord so much. And the second thing that pleased the Lord so much was his refusal to just be about what pleases him or what is popular in society. He's saying, God, I don't just want to know, you know how to please myself or how to please the people. I want to know how to do what pleases you. And again, our society is totally given over at this point. To whatever pleases you must be the right thing. Whatever is most popular must be the right thing. And that's absolute idolatry. And the refusal of those things, it brings honor to God, it's worship to God, it pleases his heart. And then the writer goes on and, and basically tells us the story to kinda now show and demonstrate how Solomon received this gift, that it wasn't just kind of ethereal, like, oh, Solomon, you're so smart now. But he gives us a story of how this worked out into practical life, and he talks about these two prostitutes. And they were sleeping one night. It sounds like they might have been in the same home, or maybe the same brothel or something. And they're in there, and they both have newborn babies which again, that you know, brings all kinds of things to mind, challenges, difficulties, but, but even worse than that is they go to bed one night and one of the moms rolls over and smothers her child to death and wakes up in the middle of the night and realizes she has killed her own child. And in that moment of heartbreak and despair, she decides to do something. She takes the dead child and she lays it next to this other woman And takes her living child and comes and puts it next to her without anyone knowing. And so in the morning when they wake up, this woman finds out that there's this child that she was sleeping with is dead. But as she looks at the child, she knows, as only a mother can know, this is not my child. And as she looks across, she sees her child with this other woman. And the woman's saying, no, 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 this is my child. You're just saying that because you're upset, because you killed your baby. And, and whatever happens, this very street level, small town kind of situation, spreads out into other people who hear about it and no one can tell what's going on. And ultimately, these two prostitutes have have this situation that's so hard to know what to do and so heart-wrenching, it spreads across all of Israel to finally make it into King Solomon's courts. It basically makes it to the Supreme Court. No one knows what to do about this heart-wrenching, difficult situation. And this is what Solomon begins as a king, he has to deal with and decide upon. And so in this moment, there's the whole court is gathered together, and Solomon is presented with the case, and he's got to decide what to do. And some of you know the story, so you're cheaters. Stop cheating for just a second. Um, and just catch how intense this moment must have been. In some ways, it seems like a moment that maybe we're dealing with right now. When you have people with genuine gender dysphoria or challenging sexual desires that go against so much of biology and and society, and they don't know what to do. And it's very difficult. It's been difficult since the desires or the confusion first showed up. And now we're living in a society that is saying all kinds of different messages about what is right and true. And in a society that basically is saying the word of God is old and oppressive and should be done away with, or just interpreted to serve whatever you think is right. It's a tough situation. It's challenging because it's real and it's painful and it's hard. Do we stick with what the word of God says very clearly from beginning to end? Do we take what God wrote into the fabric of humanity about gender and marriage and family? Or do we allow something inside of us to make us go, no, maybe that's not true or maybe that's not true for me? It's very, very difficult. Or think about what's going on in the black community. As they experience all this confusion and hardship, some of it that Michael described. But that's just one story among many. Where they look around and they're not quite sure where they fit in society. They look around and they see other people experiencing things that they don't know if they'll ever be able to experience. They see people with their own color skin going through struggles. And we have to figure out what can we do to help this situation. And some people are saying we should go this way. Some people we should go in this way. All kinds of different offerings are being offered. Some of them that are in line with biblical values. Some of them that are way off and even against biblical values. And we have to decide what do we do. And the first thing I want you to realize is King Solomon is king, so he's got to decide this thing but he could also just write this off, ignore it, or pretend it didn't happen, he's still king. But for you and I, we are called to be a kingdom of priests, kings and priests of God. We are supposed to be salt and light in this world. We need to go into situations like this and bring the truth and love of God so that justice can actually happen. We don't sit around and wait for society to figure it out. They never will. We have the spirit of God. We've been cleansed with the blood of Jesus. We have the word of God, and we need to be going and finding situations this, and not shrinking away from them, but begging God for the wisdom to actually do something that helps. It's our call. It's what Jesus did. And so, Solomon, in this situation of impossible, no way to know, Solomon did not know what was right. He didn't know who was lying and who was telling the truth. But he had asked the Lord for a discerning heart. And in this moment, something came into his mind. Not what was true or what was right, but a way to find out what was true or right. And so he calls to someone and says, Bring me a sword. And so they bring him a sword. At that time, there's just a lot more swords lying around, I guess. If I was like, bring me a sword. I don't know how long it would take for me to actually get a sword, but it was quick. He got a sword. And then he walks down to this little baby and he says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna cut the baby in half and I'm gonna give half to that mom, half to that mom. And you can almost feel the collective sigh in the room Great, Our new king is absolutely insane. This is not going to be good. How could he do that? I mean, you, if the media was there, think of all the storylines that would go out. And as he lifts that sword to go chop that baby, one of the mom cries out and says, "Please stop. Just give her the baby. Please do not hurt the baby." And Solomon puts the sword down. He says, I'm gonna make my ruling now. He said, take this baby and give it to the woman that was willing to give up that son's life just to protect it, because she's the true mom. And everyone in the room didn't have to debate what was true and right. They didn't have to wonder, oh, was this really the right? Everyone in in that moment knew exactly what was true And what was right, and they all rejoiced, and Solomon's renown obviously spread as a great king of wisdom. But this is, and I, I I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I wish I could say this isn't, but this is what we, as the people of God, are called to do: is to be salt and light, to execute justice in our world. To right the wrongs in society. Just like Solomon was able to in this moment. Just like Jesus, the one we're following to, did time and time again when they came and they put him in an impossible situation. Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus was able to create a moment, come up with another option that caused everyone to know that God is in this place and to go home with their pride and their judgment that was false and this woman to walk free and to know the love of God. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are his sons and daughters. This is our call to walk in this way So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well first I think we gotta pray and ask the Lord for a listening heart, a discerning heart. Absolutely. And then after we've done that, we gotta go to this place where when we're faced with the situation, we gotta listen. A discerning heart is a listening heart. So when someone comes to you with something they're carrying, you don't immediately say this, that, you listen to what's going on. You hear them out. And you listen for what the Lord is saying. And in this moment, somehow the Lord put in Solomon's mind, get a sword, pretend to chop the baby, then you'll find out what's true. For me and my wife, one time it was, go to Belize and see what I have for you there. It's like, Lord, we got a one-year-old daughter. Can't just be going to Belize. Doesn't make any sense. I had all kinds of people telling us that. And then the second time the Lord told us to go, oh, I had a kid in a wheelchair. You can't just go places with kids in wheelchairs. It didn't make any sense that we had this idea that we were supposed to go. And Solomon had this idea, but then he also had the courage to walk in it, the courage to try it out. And so he got the sword and he went for it. And what came was a revelation that made it clear for everybody that it was right. And by God's grace, you know, we've come back from Belize and everyone that knows us down there, that knows our story, they're like, yeah, I think that was right. Now you say that, telling us don't do it. Now you're saying it was, oh, yeah, it was the Lord. That was great. That's the way it goes sometimes. But one last thing, we got to have a pray for a discerning heart, definitely. We got to we got to make sure we listen when the Lord is speaking to us in each and every situation and we got to have the courage to walk those things out so that not only us but everybody else can see what the Lord's doing. But one last thing that we cannot forget is Solomon asks for a sword. He asked for a sword, and in the scriptures, it's very clear to us, in Hebrews chapter four, that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. In fact, the verse says this, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What we have in this book right here, whether you like it or not, whether it adheres to your, your, your desires or not, whether it's popular in society or not, this is the sword that we have to cut through the crap. This is the sword that we have. And this is not this sword's first rodeo. Societies have come and go, but the word of God has stood forever and will withstand whatever our society begins to decide what it wants to do. This is living and powerful. We're reading a book that is thousands of years old and it's speaking right to the core of our society today. It's alive. And it is powerful and it is trustworthy. You can stand on this. And it is becoming more and more unpopular, more and more resisted, and more and more offensive, not because anything's wrong with this. But Solomon used a sword, and Jesus is doing the same thing with us. He's telling us we need to use the sword. When you look at Jesus' life, when the devil came to him and tempted him, he gave him three temptations, and we read those temptations, it almost sounds fairy tale, but those were going right at the core identity that was in Jesus. He was hungry, he was God, And the temptations actually kind of went right at the core of those issues. And yet Jesus Christ answered every single one of those temptations with a scripture that actually came straight from the Old Testament. He knew how important in the day of opposition, in the day of temptation, it was to use the word of God and know the word of God. And for us as people, if we wanna get it right in 2021, if we don't want to be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine, we need to know the word of God. We need to stand on the word of God. I love there's one um, organization I'm investigating right now, especially in the idea of justice, and they're called the Ann Campaign. And basically, they're like, there's all these social justice organizations that are basically either resisting or anti-biblical values, they're like, why can't it be social justice and biblical values? Why can't we understand that our biblical values actually command and demand us to do social justice? But also, if we try and do social justice without biblical values, we're just causing more harm than good, and there's lots of organizations like that right now. Solomon used the sword. Solomon prayed for a discerning heart. He listened to see what the Lord might say. He walked courageously in that, and he never forgot to use the sword. Will you guys pray with me? I thought it'd be good for us to just go to our knees right now, if you're able, online or in person, and we'll just spend a moment coming before the throne of God our Father Almighty the maker of heaven and earth who's never spoken a word that wasn't true who's never thought a thought that wasn't beautiful and has never done a single thing that wasn't for our good Father in heaven you are holy you see everything clearly You cannot be moved. You cannot be manipulated. You cannot be deceived. And you are so hungry for justice. And so we, Lord, we ask that you would give us a discerning heart. pray for each person right now that is touched by one of these difficult situations we've mentioned. Someone who is feeling all of the burden of the divide of race in our country. Whether it's their own personal feelings or someone they love. I pray you'd give them a discerning heart, Lord they'd be able to do something beautiful in their community, just like Solomon did on this day. And I pray for those with gender dysphoria or or dealing with sexual attractions that don't fit in line with your scriptures. I Pray you'd meet them right where they are. They would know that you're for them, you love them, and you are a great rewarder of those who honor you, no matter what the cost is. Oh, we need your wisdom in our day. Jesus, we thank you for your words and your life example. We're going to close with the song and you can stay in this position or you can sit or stand whatever you want, but this is just a time to really kind of stay in this place of really hungering for God to come. And I like what the words of that song, you know, earlier was said that we need an anointing. We need the power of the Lord. We need to be filled with his spirit. And so if you're dealing with a situation, just stay in this place until the Lord comes and fills you with all that you need.